Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. You may be thinking, so what is this universal design thing anyway? While the name would imply otherwise, universal design is often associated with a tool for handling the needs of people with disability, or perhaps an association with aging in place. But Mary Jo talks about universal design as just good design practice. Mary Jo built her own company in 1993 to assist private homeowners and design-build professionals around the country achieve state-of-the-art solutions for kitchen and bath designs. Mary Jo's own journey to universal design came from a desire to support people with disabilities, to make their homes easier for them to use, and then realizing she could use her approach to improve flexibility and access for everyone. Mary Jo is constantly asking herself and those around her, how can we incorporate clever, beautiful elements that improve human performance? If you care about having a space that is easier to use and makes you feel good at the same time, or if you want to design such a space for someone else, you will definitely want to keep listening. So let's just jump right in. So Mary Jo, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Happy to be here. And thanks for welcoming us into your home for the podcast. And I'm always happy for that. (laughs) I like to set the scene a little bit with some definitions. So just to get us on the same page and our listeners as well, can you start just by explaining what your definition of universal design is? Yeah, I'd like to. In fact, it's a pleasure to have the chance to help clarify because it's a philosophy and an approach to design that people don't always get their arms around. And when we're when we finally embrace it, we really don't have to have a name anymore. It's just good design. But in fact, the name universal design refers to, by formal definition, it's talking about uh, the design of products and spaces so that they will, with respect for the differences in people, be usable by as many people as possible. Um, the, the UN has a definition that, that I think kind of adds to that. It talks about freedom to choose. So freedom, again, I think it's about that respect of people and differences. If I speak Spanish and you speak English, if, if a space has been designed universally, then that sign will be a figure. And we both know that it means that that's where the woman's room is. Right. You know, that, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's a great example. It's a lot about respect. Yeah, and I know I've seen another slight difference in definition. I think it's from a book by Steinfeld and Maisel Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that encourage the design of spaces that empower a diverse population by improving human performance, health and wellness, and social participation. Right, That's, that's a more contemporary definition. Right, and what do you think about the health and wellness aspect of bringing that in to, to design? Where are we with that or... I think it's perfect. I I have always thought that universal design spoke to health. You know, other terms, universal design, inclusive design, I think Ed Steinfeld likes to refer to inclusive design. Same kind of deal, but but when we refer to health and wellness, we're talking about a proactive Mm -hmm. approach, that we're going to create spaces and products that will support people through the changes that may occur 
um, in their life and in the in the life of the spaces that, that they're living in. And that really is more of a positive, more of a proactive, and that's what universal design is supposed to be. I think when we define it, we can't ignore the other terms that are out there. Yeah. So, so we talk about accessibility and right. we talk about universal design. And it's very hard for people who are down in the trenches of it to figure out what's what there. And I think that if, if you look at it this way, access really refers to disability. It really refers to creating something that will support someone with respect for a specific disability. It also is a, a term that is used in compliance in the standards for the ADA for fair housing. Um, so, so it has a very specific definition and it's also like a solution to a problem. Right. Uh, so a ramp would be acceptable as accessibility, as an accessible solution. Right. It would be a sloped walkway if it was universal design because you'd want it not to be so visible. You'd want it to be, it has to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think there, there are three things that I always, people, builders often ask me, what 10 things can I do so I have incorporated so universal done. design? And <laughs> so then I'm done. And I just want to do that in every house. And I say, no, every house is different. This is really an approach to design. But if there are three things, okay. you know, I would say that, that this is a design that you have to, you have to create it so that it's something we aspire to. And, mm -hmm. and my best example of that is if you think of a hearing aid and then think of an ear pod. Hmm. We aspire to one. We like one. We it's cool. We want to have right. that in our ear. The other one, we want to hide it, make it go away. So universal design. We need to aspire to it. We oh, also we also need to make it the standard. It needs to be part of every project that we approach. Every design of product or space that we approach because it, what we're doing is trying to create some flexibility in that product so that it can be used by the tall and short among us, by the old and young, by the large or small, and with varying abilities. We can't make everything universal, universal for everybody all the time, but we can have that as our goal. And, and, and so you know, that's another thing that we have to work at. And the final thing that it has to be is beautiful. It either has to be invisible or beautiful. You don't even know it. You know, you walk in and you're you're working at the sink and you realize that, that you know, that you're halfway through it and, gee, oh, this is really comfortable. Ah, it's a, it's a better height for me. It's a flexible height and now I've got it at my height. It's that aha thing. So invisible is good or beautiful. It's not a grab bar that... Uh, makes me feel like I'm in an institution. It's a beautiful decorative element. And oh, by the way, if I start to slip and fall, I've got something to hold on to. Or if I need a little balance as I move through the space. That's amazing. And I haven't actually thought about, and probably people more involved in the circle think about this a lot, but, and maybe this is my engineering background, but I hadn't thought about the beauty component of it, the aesthetic component of it. And so that's a really interesting piece to bring in that we, we don't have to make people, oh, that we only want to do as minimal as possible to do the ADA compliance. Right. We, we have to integrate it in a way that's beautiful and, and um, compelling. And, and that sort of speaks to health and wellness because it speaks to the fact that it isn't just our physical being that needs to be cared for, but it's our emotional and our spiritual well-being. And if we create, especially in our homes, if we create a space that is a comfort to us. It needs to be attractive. It needs to say who we are, and and that you know 
contributes to our health on, on all levels. I think that, that another thing that universal design has to be is smart. And there are some great examples in small products, you know. It's, it's just thinking through what are who are the different people who would use this and what can we do that would make would make this product or space work a little bit better. Yeah, one example is the ketchup bottles now that are upside down. The, mm. the labels on right. so that you keep it upside down. If we can get used to the, if we can just believe that it's not going to leak, it works much better, you know. Or <laughs> OXO has OXO Good Grips has that measuring cup that for liquids that the measures are marked on an angle so you can stand up and look at it. You don't have to bend over to look ah. at it. So, you know, those are examples of somebody was really clever there. And, right. And, and that's that's really what we need to do. That's actually interesting because I was listening to, I think, a TED Talk on um, universal design, and they mentioned the disability isn't necessarily or doesn't ha we don't have to focus on it being a lack of ability but right. we can focus on it as being the cause for innovation so like you said maybe someone who doesn't have a hard time bending over wouldn't in innovate and think about creating mm -hmm. a measuring cup that you don't have to bend over exactly. but now when that is a real challenge for you you're incentivized to do it and it actually helps everybody so that's, that's exactly right and I'll give you a, a, another example when I started in this business, uh, focusing on universal design 30 years ago, I wanted, I worked with um, one of our major appliance companies and I said, we really need to do um, front loading, front control washers and dryers, like like the commercial ones and, and elevate them. So the, And the idea was that a person who used a wheelchair would be able to roll up under that door and be able to access both the controls and the appliance. No, 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 we'll never do that. It, it costs too much money, whatever. Now look today. We have on pedestals, front-loading, front-control washers and dryers. And the reason is that that's sort of an interesting thing about how access moves into being universal design. Mm. The initial reason can be something that has to do with, with a particular disability. But we find out that it's that aha again. We find out that, oh, Gee, this just really works better. better for everybody, yeah. And that's that's a wonderful part of this, you know, uh, working with clients, private clients. Sometimes they are my best resource for ideas. I know the parts and pieces that can go into this space, but they know the need that they have and what they've done, sort of jerry-rigged to make something work, and then we can make it more beautiful and more integrated. Right, right. Working together with the entire team, you can create exactly. something better. Yeah. And the... We talked a little bit about this. What are some examples, maybe more specific examples? I know it's a different design approach, so maybe there are different uh, examples from different projects, but that people can kind of use to wrap their head around what this really means when you're looking at it from a universal right. design perspective. So, um, I, th I think we could start, if we start outside, you know, my all of my experience really with very little exception is around the home, single or multi-family home design. So if we start outside and the approach and entry to a home, we have to think about clearance and, and we need to think about the level of things. That sloped walkway is, is one of my favorite examples. You know, we typically have a couple steps up to the front of a house, whether it's a porch or an entry. And sometimes that there's a reason for that that has to do with climate as well. Sometimes there are code issues that have to be dealt with in order to be able to make that a level entry, find a way to make a level entry. But um, 
so so we need to look at level entry, at least one level entry into a space. Uh, and that's actually interesting. We've looked at that too from an accessibility versus passive house compliance because making it level but also making it energy efficient and right. making sure you have a thermal barrier can be an issue. So thinking about all exactly. aspects of yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And, and new products have been created to help make that thermal barrier. Um, right. How successful they are, I'd need you guys to test <laughs> But But we'll there are. It's much post. easier today. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's much easier today than it once was. Right. Um, but uh, other thoughts about this is a perfect example of how universal design, <clears throat> excuse me, is really a thought process. It's not one answer. So thought process here. If we have a space, if we're working in Alaska, mm-hmm. um, I'll just tell you this. You can cut it out later. But <laughs> Peter Stratton and I did a program teaching Native American housing authorities how to house their elders. So I talked about about universal design and how to incorporate it nicely into the home and he talked about compliance. And we were one of the things in order to comply with for government funded housing was that you had to have a level entry. Mm. And these these Native American housing authorities are nodding and being polite and then at the break we're talking and they said, you know, here in Alaska in the winter we get standing 13 feet of snow. So <laughs> most of our houses have to be on stilts because otherwise you can't get into them. So, you know, you have to work with each space. Yes. But um, with that in mind, in a less extreme example, if we're looking for that level entry and we're trying to comply with passive house and efficiency right. requirements, maybe the, the level entry is the one that's inside the garage. Maybe it's the one that the family uses all the time. Right. It's not the second it's not to say if you need a level entry, you have to go to the back door. That's not the purpose. The purpose is the one that you use the most is the one that gets the level entry, and that way it's covered. So, you know, you, there are ways to deal with it, and that's that thinking process. Right. So so we got stuck on that. But but so outside, we need to have clearances. We need to think about level path, passageways to the things that we enjoy outside. How do you get to the barbecue? How do you get to the mailbox? How do you take the garbage out? How do you read the meter? All those kinds of things. You know, how do we, how do we create comfortable, not just level, but what's the surface? Right. You know. So uh, a few things outside. I think that how we inform people on the outside of a house, what kind of lighting we have around the entry, Mm. how big is the number that says what number the house is or who lives there, you know, things like that. So having a package drop outside of a house so that if I have to stop to unlock a door, if I don't have some kind of a smart door and I have to actually unlock it, (laughs) there's a place to set things down so I can do that. So those kinds of things outside, I think when you come inside, in general, that level and clearances, I look always to see if I can cut down on a plan. If I'm looking to incorporate more universal design in a plan, I look to see if I can eliminate as many hallways as possible, make them passage through a room as opposed to a hallway, because it's much easier to move and turn regardless of or with respect for whatever... um, mobility aids I might be using. Well, however much space I take up, mm-hmm. it's easier for me to do what I need to do. Um, and it's I'll, interesting, the open plan concept is very popular now. And see, I guess no. everyone else is getting on board with, oh, this is actually better. And <laughs> you know that around. when I started, so this 8 million years ago, um, <laughs> real estate agents used to call me and say, do you know of any homes that have been designed with an open plan? Because I, I know you pay attention to access, and I have a, a client who is looking for that. 
you know, so now yeah. and now today it is every house. That's every, right. Yeah. There are so many examples of that, but but that is that's a good one. I think that another thing that I look for in a home is um, how many places can I eliminate a right angle turn. So we come to the end of a hallway and there's a doorway to a bedroom and a bedroom. Maybe we angle that so that it's not a 90 degree turn, but a 45 degree turn because that makes a much easier passage if I have any challenges in terms of mobility and balance. It's just easier to, to manage. Uh, we have to look at the width of doorways and the amount of space. These are all the same things that will come up when you talk about accessibility, but the beauty of uh, talking about universal design is that we're doing it not just to comply, but we're doing what is the best for the space. And, and you know, maybe in, in the entry to a bathroom, maybe the best for that particular master bathroom and a master suite is that we don't have a door there. You know, yeah. or or that we have a uh, sliding door, a barn door hardware, because that maintains the integrity of the wall for the support in the bathroom. Right. You know that it's that it's a thinking process. Universal design is totally about uh, about thinking. And so what comes up for me actually with that example and an interesting thought and in comparison to other spaces right now is the accessibility is kind of a prescriptive-based requirements. That's right, and that's right. Whereas universal design is more performance. How it does is. it feel once you get in there? So that's, that's right. It is, and, and that's one of the reasons there are a number of people who have created universal design um, standards, mm -hmm. uh, programs, so that you can earn, you can earn a, you know, a, a good housekeeping seal of approval. I won't name any of the right. programs that are doing this, but but so if you comply with these things, but what are those things? Because right. they're really performance based. How do you measure? Right. You know, you know, in one house I may accomplish that level entry easily because well, that's a bad example. Let me think, <laughs> let me think of we one just that's... Said everybody can have one. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, sometimes on a hill, it's really not worth it. Right. Sometimes it's more important than you just add some kind of a lift or, or elevator, but you'd make that attractive, right? That's a great point. Yeah. But that's not what I was going to say. I'm and to... there's while you're while you're thinking, there's an uh, an analogy here, I think, to where the sustainability standards are going uh, across the country, yes. but also in the coats, yes. right? To yes. moving away. Everybody, is, uh, it seems like we're trying to move away from performance and uh, from prescriptive and get a little more towards performance. That's we, right. Yeah. And, and I think it's such a good thing because it allows us to make the best decision given the parameters of a job, the budget, the budget of space, the people who are either targeted to live there or, or who are the known clients. Right. You know, so I, I love that we can work towards that performance base. Yeah. It's a good thing. Great. Any more good examples? Well, you know, we can go into the kitchen and bathroom and I can... Yes, there you go. Then we can talk for days. Examples. That's right, that's right. So if we, if we first go into the bathroom, I would say that uh, one of the... I just don't know where to start. So, okay. So, so in, <laughs> in the bathroom, yeah. maybe we can go by stations of the bathroom. Okay. In the toileting area, one of the beautiful things that we have today is an advanced design of the toilet. Mm. And and one of the Tell ways... Tell me more about this. Yes, I know. Nobody ever wants to talk about the toilet. <laughs> and, and I get to talk about it all the time. I know that my Irish grandmother turns over in her grave every time I say toilet out loud to, you know, a group of people. But but here we are, talking here about are. the toilet. Yeah. yeah. So um, we haven't even mentioned the term aging in place, but aging in place is a very popular term and it's helping advance the cause of universal design mainly because of the boomers 
the number of people in the age boom. Yeah, I think and, you talked about this in your book, right? That uh, the baby boomers kind of we it, right. now we have to really be thinking about this, or now it's on more people's minds when they're buying or renovating. Yeah, and that and that helps. That that helps drive the cause. It's better for everyone, but if that's you know whatever. So, in in terms of aging in place. One of the features of the toilet today is a washlet or a bidet system that can be built into the toilet. And while we, some of us, may think of that as a more European approach and something that's kind of a, a luxury or a convenience, as we age, that can become an essential aspect of life. And that sometimes is true of a lot of things in universal design. We add accessories in a kitchen cabinet to make it easier to reach things. Well, today it makes it easier a time may come when I'm not able to bend, and so it makes it possible. Right. It becomes essential. So so the uh, bidet system built into the toilet, great idea. Universal design maybe won't include a bidet system in a toilet <laughs> on everybody's toilet, but an outlet in that area, a grounded outlet, would provide for the addition of that later, and that's really good universal design, too. Flexibility. To it, that's right. That's right. Um, right. A wall-hung toilet, another thing. I can put it at whatever height. It saves clear floor space in that tiny, all the post-World War II five-by-eight bathrooms that were redesigned in your new home, probably you have one of those, you know. <laughs> Maybe one or two. Yeah, right. At, given the age of your home, probably you do. And, and, and so we're looking for some clearance in that very tight space. That wall-hung toilet will give us back maybe five inches of clearance across the room. So, that, so that's a, a wonderful deal. Yeah, huge. And, and it's easier to clean around. It's also easier, again, as I advance in aging, if I can tuck my feet under myself to stand up, Mm. as opposed to having to have my feet out in front of me. And and with the wall-hung toilet, I can get my feet underneath that toilet bowl and stand up more easily. So Great. lots of reasons why that can that can work well. It's actually a, you know, sometimes people want to talk about the cost. Is it more expensive to do things that are universal design? If it's a new space, it's not more expensive. It doesn't have to be more expensive. But if we were renovating, that wall-hung toilet might bring an added cost because we'd be looking to move a waistline and that's a pretty big ticket item so right. but it is in in a new space adding a bathroom it's a wonderful thing to consider so yeah. toileting area then then we could go on to the uh the tub shower area and and the most beautiful thing to talk about there today is the linear drains and the no threshold showers yeah i used to say that if we could get if i could get all of my production builders in the southwest they had huge tiled showers huge but they would never give up the threshold and i finally got them to give up the threshold then they did a step down because they <laughs> want to contain the water and we do have to contain water but right. now with the uh creation of attractive linear drains people are doing no threshold showers it's it's great from a, uh, the vantage point of aesthetics because it means I can maintain the same flooring right. throughout small space, looks great, makes the space much more open. Um, but it also is, of course, wonderful for clear floor space and maneuvering in terms of um, mobility issues. Yeah, my grandfather was in a wheelchair, actually, now that you're mentioning it, and my parents redid their house years ago and wanted to make sure that it would be accessible for him. Mm -hmm. And they, we had a roll-in, no-threshold uh, shower, and the and we actually had an elevator in the house to the second floor to make sure that he would be able to, to get live to there and, right. and age there. That's a, see, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's an expensive proposition to right. do it the way they did it, so that's why... 
if we're thinking in terms of universal design, every time something changed, you'd look to see how much can I incorporate better access, okay. improved access and flexibility every time, or in new construction, what can I do from the onset so that it doesn't cost as much. Right. I think also, you know, you mentioned sustainability, and of course, this is a major focus of, of our lives. Right. And if we can incorporate universal design when we build or renovate, it means that that home will not have to be renovated again as right. much because we will have prepared for the changes that occur right. in the life of the house. Right. I love that. And we talked a little bit about the um, kitchen uh, renovations and yes. using re reusing cabinets from before, which I love that idea. I love that. And why not create a space where you don't have to redo every five years or um, when as you age or as your life changes, as, as you have kids, as you get pregnant, whatever. That's right. That's right. Well, so we started talking about the kitchen. Maybe I should yes. move to the kitchen with a, with a few things. We kind of skipped the vanity area, but we did some things in the bathroom. Yeah. So, um, so in the kitchen, one of the things that people don't always think of, but it is a great again, universal design thinking process approaching the kitchen is the heights of things, not just the heights of work surfaces and storage, but also the heights of appliances, you know, mm -hmm. traditional multiple ovens in a kitchen or an oven in a microwave or an oven in a steam oven would be stacked, a tall right. cabinet. And today we see sort of mid-height cabinets with those appliances being designed to fit across so it right. creates that strong horizontal line that's good in design but it also puts all those appliances at a comfort height for most people you can choose the height you know? right um, so thinking about the heights of non-traditional heights of traditional items in the kitchen is I think one of the one of the less obvious things that that goes a long way to making life easier. And if you don't think so, I want you to think about it the next time Thanksgiving hits and you're taking that turkey out of the oven at your range. I believe you. You know, I'm at the 25 pounds of turkey and yeah. My cousin actually has a microwave that's so high up, you have to get on the stool every time you go in there and whatever you get out is probably piping hot. So it's also dangerous for yeah, kids and regular adults as well. Well, and who uses the microwave the most? It's kids. Right. So it's, it's one of my arguments against the over-the-range microwave. Well, I know it's great when you can save space and when you have to save space. But for those of us who aren't super tall, pulling something that might be liquid out and towards me, chances it, there's a definitely a safety risk there right right so it's, it's a good thing to avoid it, and fun fact they're not as good at exhausting the air when you use that for your exhaust so we actually have a separate episode that'll uh, that'll oh, come good. out at some point about so you're going to talk about ventilation yes. and exhaust oh yeah. good oh good the kitchen is a big space to talk about that right right and that has to do it ties in with healthy homes and making sure we're we're not creating more disabilities by having people live in the spaces that we're creating as as designers and as consultants that's right Exactly right. So, so we talked in the kitchen. We talked about heights of things, also heights of work surface. You know, in an ideal world, work surfaces might be adjustable in height, and occasionally that is done, especially where there is a work center, a, a cooktop, or a sink. Um, but more often, in especially in the size of kitchens today, we'll find a way to have different heights at different places in the kitchen. So the tall person is more comfortable working over here, a shorter person might be more, or a seated person might be more comfortable over there. And if we were ever gonna double up on anything, the thing that people 
uh, most often we'll have two of in the kitchen is the sink right. because that creates two full work centers. As long as there's water and a surface next to it and some storage, I've got you know I've got I've got a work center. You've got your own work center, and and sometimes that works to be the cooking center over here, the prep center, and over here it's the cleanup and table setting and all. So it's great for the function in general of the kitchen, but it also is flexible for the different sizes, shapes, abilities of people. Right. I think lighting is something we haven't talked about in both rooms. There's oh, been yeah. so many advances in lighting that it becomes a great aspect of universal design. You know, we can take a tiny strip of LED lighting now and put it absolutely anywhere. And or everywhere. That's, that's <laughs> right, or everywhere. And so, so it's, it's wonderful that we can eliminate shadows in our functional areas, kitchen and bathroom, both being high-function areas. It's also important to have adjustability in that light. You know, uh, if I'm cleaning the room, I'm going to turn all the lights up so that I can scrub and see the corners and whatever. If I'm trying to have an intimate dinner, I'm going to turn the turn the lights down. So it's nice just in general, but it's also there are conditions that are common to us as we age, and if we can adjust the lighting in the right ways, we can reduce the impact of those conditions. So right. adjustability is good too. Great points, and. Do you, do you have any more good I'm just, examples? You know, I know I, gotta, I'm just thinking about thinking about. Um, we haven't said much about technology, oh, yeah. and there's so much happening in technology that really speaks to universal design. It okay. it again it, it is the story of it's a convenience, or you'll say, oh, isn't it ridiculous? Look what you can do. But the day can come when it's not. It's no longer so over the top. It's more essential. Things that have to do with controlling appliances, you know, almost all our compliances now can be connected. And when they're connected, that creates the possibility of a remote control, even just in your telephone. Right. You know, so I can, through my telephone, know what's in my refrigerator. I can pass that along to one of my shopping services and the groceries can be delivered. So when I get home at night, it's all done. Right. But if I'm not able to get around as much, those things become all the more yeah. Imperative of, uh, they become an imperative. And a uh, good example of that is the venting over a cooktop. You know, even for, even for an average height person, you know, we have to reach high to reach the, the hood. If I'm a seated person or a shorter person, I can't reach it. Yeah. So that was the first place where we saw those remote controls or uh, built in or now, of course, in our phones. Right. Those are great points. And I think the um, the technology piece is interesting, bringing me back to uh, a previous episode. We also talked about, I, I joked about having the refrigerator walk to the store for you. Yeah. But the, and now it practically does. <laughs> Seriously. Right. I mean, we have the option. Yeah. And, but I think, thinking about it, I, it never occurred to me to think about it this way, but thinking about it from a health perspective, if you can make it more convenient for you to get those kinds of healthy groceries food. that are healthier, mm-hmm. um, but, it's not in, but it's not out of your way, or maybe you don't get home until late and only the corner store is open, if you can have something that gets delivered, but um, it, it can be a healthier option, maybe that could actually improve things. I'm not sure if that statistically is what's happening with this. Well, but, you know... So I have a good friend who is a naturopath, Mm -hmm. and she focuses on all the ways that we can enhance the eating experience and and improve the health of the healthy aspect of what we do and eat. And that's one of the things that she mentions, that if if a person can plan ahead, Mm -hmm. uh, it's much more likely that they will eat healthy. 
and that allows that without taking quite as much time. So I, I think it does make a difference. I think sitting just like the way you and I are around the corner from each other is another. It's a social aspect of eating. So our long island with all the seats on the back of the island, maybe right. if we could wrap those seats around the corners, it's a, a design concept that just makes it a little bit more of a social experience. It's a good idea for health in general. It becomes much more of an imperative as we age because we isolate you know and we lose and we can lose interest in, in healthy food or food at all so and actually i was just listening to something about technology and the impact of technology on social interaction and if you actually they were saying that millennials are having issues with social interaction in the workplace because they're so used to just being on their phones. Absolutely. You know, sitting next to each other, texting instead of talking. Right. I think about that, The uh, you know, we were talking about we work earlier mm-hmm. and the we live concept, one of the beauties of it, it's an instant social network for mm-hmm. people. You know, you go into the communal center, you right. can bring your computer or you can sit and talk or you can, but right. You, you have instant community. So, uh, and they're very conscious about creating space. And some offices are like this too, but creating spaces to channel people together into right. central locations. I so think that's, it's why it's so popular with millennials because yeah. it makes it easier. That's great. Yeah. So, the is there, you know, as we're sort of getting towards the end of their to- our time here, is there one key takeaway that you think we should all leave this conversation with? Well, if I if I had to take one concept, one thought, and and send it forward, if if people change the way they do things in one way from our conversation, it would be to understand that universal design is a goal, and a way of thinking, not a pres- prescriptive list of details that need to be done, but an approach to design, and it should be part of everything we do. That's great, and. The last thing that I like to ask people or that we like to ask people on this is when we have you back on the podcast in five years, what do you think we will be? <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> what do you think we'll be talking about then? Well, I think that we'll, one of the things we'll talk about is technology and mm-hmm. how much it has impacted the way we live. I'll give you an example. Our, our, our aging boomers, a group that I belong to and I'm happy to belong to. <laughs> but as as we age, you know, everything that has a chip in it can be a monitor as well. And so the integrative health and the ability of our homes to help support us and maintain us as we advance in that aging process, I think I think that's gonna be a, a significant a significant part of what's going on in the world. So it'll be interesting to watch. That's a great idea. And you were just talking to me before we started recording about a robot that uh, That's right. Yeah, that makes your home healthier mm-hmm. without you even having to flip any switches. You don't have to control it remotely or He's at thinking all. for us. Right. That's a little spooky. You know, all, <laughs> all of it is a little spooky. You know, it's on the it's one true. side I want my privacy, I want my control. Right. But on the other side, you know, it, when it comes to home health, would I rather have a person hanging out in my house with me <laughs> or you know, monitors that can it let somebody know if I'm in trouble. Right. You know, and so it'll it'll change. It'll change how we live. Yeah. Well, I think that is a very uh, great statement or sentiment to end on, hopefully on the better side of that uh, so. than, than the alternative. Maintaining independence. Yeah. That's what it's a positive. Um, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for asking. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com 
slash podcast and check out the episode show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment. Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.